0: hey good morning again you guys good to see you praise God I'm so thankful for the ways he's working in our church family there's a lot to be thankful for Um, I forgot to mention too I know there's other people who have asked about baptism and want to be baptized and so um, to do that all you need to do is talk to me or one of the elders or Julie Pierce at the church office and we'll set up a time to talk more about it Uh, also uh, we had a great time this morning uh, We've intervened two of the elder candidates, John Conley and Rob Buchanan. So thank you to everybody who came for that. And we'll have one more week of that next uh, Sunday morning, God willing, at um, 8.45 a.m. in the chapel uh, as uh, we get to know Gary Williams better. And then, yes, we'll continue to pray for the teenagers as they are heading over today. Let me pray again for us. Lord, thank you for today, and uh, thank you for how you're moving in our church. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to move now. And uh, help us, help the teenagers and the drivers as they travel back safely. Cover them, please. And cover our time now. Protect us spiritually and physically. And be with those who can't be here today. Those who are in the hospital. uh, Those who are at home. Those who are elsewhere traveling. Um, I just pray, God, that uh, you would encourage them where they're at. And that they would uh, seek your face today. We love you and uh, give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Has there ever been a time in your life when you had close, joyful fellowship with a group of Christians? Maybe it was at a church camp, or maybe a mission trip, or a, uh, in a community group possibly, or maybe you've been in a discipleship group of some type, or potentially serving with others on a, a ministry team here in the church, or in the community. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever had that kind of close, joyful relationship with other Christians, or or maybe a a close friendship with another Christian or a Christian couple who, who you could just be totally real with about your fears and about your struggles and about your relationship with God? If so, if you've had that, then thank God for that, because that is a precious thing. And if you do have that now, then I would encourage you to do everything you can to invite others who don't have that into your Christian community. Um, if, if you've never experienced this, uh, then I pray you would seek out those kind of Christian relationships and that God would provide them for you. Because community is is crucial for encouraging one another in the faith and for growing in the likeness of Christ together. Nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about the individual Christian being on, just that it's all about him or her and his Bible and the Holy Spirit and that's, that's it. It's not the idea of the New Testament. If you look at the we's, uh, uh, they's, ours, the one another's, the picture is always that we've been adopted into a family. And we are sanctified, we are made into the image of Christ day by day, Uh, in community with one another. And the past few weeks, we've been talking about those things that the first Christians devoted themselves to as kind of the first Christian church family. And uh, let me reread that if you weren't here. Uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47, it's the passage we've been in. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, those who were being saved. So the first Christians devoted themselves to this sharing of life together. That's what this word fellowship means. It means sharing. Uh, They they committed to, it says they devoted themselves to sharing a common life with the Christians around them. And they did this uh, by, by sharing the Savior Jesus together who made them a family and by sharing their days together as we see in this passage. And then also by sharing their stuff with each other to take care of one another. And this devotion to one another, we have to know, did not just magically happen. Okay? Yes, their unity was obviously a work of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, each of these individual peoples and family had to choose to devote themselves to one another. It's an intentional choice. And, you know, sometimes we can read this. Some of us maybe have read this section in Acts a lot, and for some of us it might be new, but we might read this passage in Acts and think, man, what, that, that is just such an amazing time in the history of the Christian church. But that sort of thing just doesn't happen anymore, obviously. Not, not unless, you know, like a bunch of radical hippies living out on a farm together somewhere. Right. That, that's what that looked like, right? That's what people think. Well, I don't think that this passage is saying that we all have to live on a farm together in order to truly share life together, though some Christians have interpreted it that way. Uh, the New Testament teaches us that the Holy Spirit who fills Christians, is, and who did that in the early church, is the exact same Holy Spirit who fills Christians today, okay? The Holy Spirit has not changed at all since we, we read this, since, sorry, since the, the, the time in which this happened. The gospel of Jesus has not changed at all, and because of that, we Christians can share life together in a similar, similar way today. And uh, the question I want to ask, though, in which I kind of, because this is kind of part two of last week, is why is this so hard for us? Why is it hard for us to share life together as Christians in a church family in 2018. Inside your bulletin, you, I want you to look. You should find a piece of paper that says sermon notes at the top and it should be blank, unless you've already taken notes, which kudos to you if you have, that's impressive. I want to give you though, this is what I want to do. I want to give you an assignment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and I want you to just write down whatever comes to your head to answer this question. Why is it hard for us to share life together like the first Christians did? Why is it hard for us to share life together like the first Christians did? Go ahead, I'll give you a few seconds here. 15 seconds, right fast. Okay, when I did that exercise, I came up, I think I listed 20 reasons. Now, I spent more than 30 seconds, okay, on that. So don't beat yourself up. Uh, and I'm not gonna list all those reasons, but I just wanna address eight of those reasons today. And I, and I want you to kind of compare kind of what I'm saying with maybe what you thought of or other thoughts you have. Uh, and then I want us to see how Jesus and his gospel can help us with these challenges. Okay, so here are eight reasons why it's hard for us to share life together like the first Christians did. Uh, The first reason why it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we can be self-centered, okay? And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean what that word actually says, self-centered. And I want you to picture your life as a bicycle wheel, if we have a picture of a bicycle wheel. Do you have that, Tamara? Oh, perfect, okay. At the center of the wheel is the hub. Okay? This is the center of your life. It's the center that everything else revolves around in your life. And the spokes revolve around the hub, right? The spokes are your thoughts, your words, your choices, your actions, your friendships, your time, your investments. All of those spokes are directed by what your hub is at the middle of your life, okay? Now because of sin in us, our default setting is to make the hub of our lives be ourselves, okay? Our lives are centered around ourselves. We, that, means to be what, that is what it means to be self-centered. We're, th- we're thinking mainly about ourselves. How can we be the most happy? How can we get ahead and we curse anything or anyone who threatens our ability to get what we want. And we're mainly thinking, I want a good job, I want a good house, I want a nice car, I want nice clothes, I want a big bank account, and I want my kids to have all these things too, and their kids. So how do I get all of this? Now, of course, it's not evil to want to take care of yourself and loved ones. Uh, However, it is sinful to worship yourself and your stuff and to worship your loved ones. It, it is wrong to be so consumed with yourself that you neglect God and his people around you. And it's fascinating because you can be a self-centered person who has no Christian relationships because your world mainly revolves around you and you neglect your brothers and sisters in Christ and they're just not part of your life. And it's also possible to be a self-centered person who has a lot of Christian friends and family, but you might live in a way that says, I don't need more people in my life. My quota's all filled up, I got my family, I got my friends, I don't need other Christians. And so self-centeredness is our default setting at birth for every human being. It's why one of the first words kids learn is mine, okay? And it leads to pride, and arrogance and delusions and self-destruction and the destruction of the people around us when we live that way. So unless God intervenes in my life and changes my hub in the center for me, then I will live my life on earth believing that the reason I'm here is because everything revolves around me. And what we need is we need God to break into our lives and to remove that hub at the center of our lives and to replace it with the hub of Jesus at the center of our lives. Okay? Because we want the spokes of our lives to revolve around God. We want the spokes, our thoughts, actions, feelings, passions, desires, investments, whatever, we want to revolve around God and His glory in our lives and His purposes for us. So, ministry leaders and attenders and a, a community group leaders and attenders. I will tell you this, this real practical application here. Please don't ever stop recruiting people to attend your ministry or group. The, and this is the idea, which, which I want to share with you. The, the goal is not to gather enough people until you are comfortable, okay? Don't ever stop actively pursuing people to join you. Don't merely be open to welcome people if they express interest. That's not the gospel way. That's not how Jesus, said. he didn't say, I'm just up here and you know, I hope you guys find out a problem to your, or a solution to your sin problem. That's not the message. What happened? Jesus came to us. That's what we have to do to other people. We have to pursue people. And so, um, we, we should all be actively thinking about people who aren't in fellowship and then invite us, uh, invite them to join us in fellowship. That's part of what it means to, to be God-centered instead of self-centered, because we're not so much thinking about what's me and what's most comfortable for me, but what is God's agenda and how can I be part of that? And I, how can my life revolve around what God wants? And man, if your community group or ministry gets so big that you filled your house to capacity, praise God. And isn't that one of our, church, our, our desires as a church, to multiply, right? So, well, when your ministry or group is too full, then multiply that. That's the when it's time to multiply that ministry or group and start another one. And, and often, we don't ever get to that point. We don't get to that point where we're saying, okay, I'm gonna multiply. You know why? Because it hurts a little bit. It hurts to make a new life. And we'd rather just stay comfortable. We'd rather say, I've got what I need here. I've got my friends. I don't really care if we got... 20 new people come to our church who aren't in community. That's the message we can send to people. And what happens is people just will stop coming. They won't come, they won't wanna be part of your fellowship because we, are, we could communicate to them, we don't need you. And that is not what we wanna to communicate to people and that's not the message of the gospel. Um, we want to communicate that God wants you, we want you, and we love you. And so what we do is when we start a new group, we invite, invite, invite until that group is bursting at the seams too, and then we multiply again. And um, inviting other people, and I'm not just talking about community groups, that was just an application for you, but this applies to all of our life. Inviting other people to share life with you must come from you, hear that? It has to come from you. Uh, You must be devoted to that in a way that truly says, I want others to experience Christian community so much that I'm I'm not gonna depend on the church staff to make this happen or the ministry leaders or the church announcements to make that happen. I'm gonna go pursue people like Jesus pursued me in the church and outside the walls of the church and I'm gonna love them. And what you need and what I need to make that happen is I need God to give me his heart for that because that's not my natural inclination. My natural inclination is that's scary, I don't wanna talk to people, I'm more introverted, leave other people up to that. But the, the message of the gospel is that Jesus makes us his ambassadors, not just as a church, but as individuals. You are Jesus' representative to the world, wherever you are. And you get to invite others to join the community of God through faith in Christ. It's a great privilege and a blessing. And if, if Christ has blessed you and if you've been blessed through community, don't you want that for others? I'm like My heart feels that. I want other people to feel the joy of knowing God in community. And um, what that means is we all have to be inviters. And we've got to welcome each other as Jesus welcomed us. And, Elif, this is our verse for the, for the greeters Romans 15, 7. No, just talk, joking. But it, it says, Therefore, welcome one another as Jesus Christ welcomed you. And that's not just for the greeters, that's for all of us. And we have to think about what did that look like? It looked like him pursuing me when I was far off, taking me where I was at, and saying, I love you. And, and, uh, I want you to be part of this and so we want to give that same approach to other people Um, Philippians 2 3 to 4 says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others you hear that it's not a bad thing looking to your own interests but also to the interests of others Do you realize, man, if you hear testimonies about people coming to Christ, and especially from other worldviews and other, even religions, one of the defining characteristics commonly is the love of God displayed by Christians. The way they sacrifice for each other, that doesn't make sense to the world. Why would you sacrifice your life for God? Why would you, you know, why would you do this? and we want God to give us that heart. And so, may God help us not just to, to love other people with our thoughts and say, oh, it's such a beautiful thing, I want that written above my kitchen sink so I can think about that every night while I wash the dishes. But may we l- share life together in the way that we invite others to enjoy life with us as we pursue Christ together. Okay. The second reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we can wrongly worship self-reliance, or self-dependency. We can worship self-reliance. You know, we often, seems, can take pride in relying on ourselves for everything. And uh, working hard and providing for your needs is a good thing. Having a job, being able to earn money and take care of yourself and others is a blessing from God. However, it is sinful if you begin to rely on yourself instead of relying on God. And we can fall into that real quickly. Relying on yourself can quickly turn into pride if you think that you are now to credit for the money you've earned, for the job that you have, for the house you live in, for all of your accomplishments. Relying on yourself can also turn into sinful pride if if you worship self-reliance to such a degree that you refuse to receive help from others. Because that requires humility, right? If we're not careful as Christians, we can come to believe that it is sinful to be weak. Hear that? Or that it's sinful to receive help from other Christians every now and then. And some people play off this self-dependency. We can all do this. We can play our self-dependency off as a form of godliness, when in reality, it can really be a form of sin. And the message of the gospel is that we humans are totally unable to rely on ourselves. See that? It, we are in bondage to our sin, and we can't save ourselves. There's no escape from Alcatraz, okay? It's not like we can think, devise this cool plan, and we get out. It's, that's, not, that's not there. We are under the wrath of God because of our disobedience to him, and we need his help. So the reason that I have peace with God, the reason I'm not going to hell when I die is not because of anything that I accomplished. It's all because of what Jesus accomplished. That because Jesus lived perfectly. He bore my sin. He suffered for my sin. He put my sin to death on the cross, which chained me to death. Jesus rose from the dead in glory. Jesus lives in heavenly glory right now. Jesus is strong. I am weak. The only way I can have power to live for God is by relying on his strength and not mine. And man, sometimes life could do a number on us to teach us that. And sometimes that's why suffering can be a good thing and God redeems that in our lives to help us see that in our weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. When the apostle Paul, you know, we think of, Godly, godly guy, wrote so much of the New Testament. There was a point in his life, I think probably many points, where he was broken down. He was at the end of himself. And Jesus spoke to him and he encouraged him. And in 2 Corinthians 12 9, Paul writes, But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So may the Holy Spirit teach me to embrace weakness instead of having this delusional self-reliance in order that the power of Christ may rest on us. That's what I want. That's what I know many of you want, for the power of Christ to rest on us and to work in us. The third reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we're too busy. Uh, I'll never forget the the crazy season of life when, when all three of our kids were under five years old. We lived out on Camino and you know, I would drive into church, 20 minute drive every day. And so it was kind of nice, because I kind of had a debrief time just to enjoy the scenery while Cindy was at home with the kids. Um, But Cindy was was home, you know, busy, changing diapers, feeding children, cleaning everything else godly moms do. And and it was a tiring season of life for both of us, and I'm sure it was more tiring for her than for me. But I will never forget when someone was trying to recruit Cindy for leadership, a, a leadership position of some sort, And Cindy, you know, just had to tell her no because her hands are just full. And that person, who happened to be another young mom, said, well, what are you going to do with all your time then? What do you do? That, That was the question. And from one angle, it sounds really ridiculous, but from another angle, many of us actually live our lives this way. We live as though spending time with our families and sharing life together with Christians isn't productive enough. We feel pressure to do everything that people around us are doing, the majority of whom are not following Jesus. We get ourselves and our kids involved in so many organizations and leagues and councils and practices and ministries that we hardly even have time to be with our own families, let alone our church family, and that's not healthy. If you are feeling exhausted and stressed by everything that you and your kids are involved in, that's not a good trajectory to be on and you don't wanna set that example for for your kids. And this is kind of a, a lesson I had to learn in ministry because there are a lot of expectations. People want a lot from you. And I just got to the point where it's was like, I can't be Jesus for everybody. I can't figure everybody's problems out. And so I had, Cindy, well, I had to do a lot of work and I, this is part of what I did on my sabbatical. I had to make some clear boundaries that I'm just a person and I don't wanna burn out. And you can burn out whether you're a pastor or a mom or retired or whatever you're doing, but I want God to help me see what are the priorities, God, that you want, because there's a lot of things I'm doing, but I wanna do what you want me to do because I can't do everything. And what that means is we have to have courage to say no to a lot of good things so that we can say yes to the best things. It takes courage. And one of the best things God wants for us is to share life with other Christians. We have to, uh, we have to, you know, it's a good thing to have ambition. But not at the expense of our own souls. Or at the expense of our families. Or at the expense of our church family. Francis Chan said this, it's a powerful quote, it's uh, it stuck with me. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of su- succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. See, busy, busyness can also be an excuse that we, we use for not being in fellowship. In some of the very, as I thought about this, because busyness is kind of a trademark of our country and of the world around us for in, in a lot of parts of the world. But some of the very busiest people I know also happen to be very involved in community groups and ministries and discipling people and being discipled. And so I think to myself, if that person could do it and they make time every week to share life with Christians and to integrate that naturally into their life, then I really can't use busyness as an excuse for isolating myself from the body. And it's really a matter of making God's priorities for our lives our priorities for our lives. And In order to do that, we have to bring eternity to bear on how we approach our lives and how we approach our relationships with other people. We have to think differently about life than the world around us. We have to not see this world as our home. We have to see eternity with Jesus as our home. So how do I live now? that's going to most greatly benefit um, myself, the church, my family now, and the non-Christians around me, because I've got to make the most of my time here, and I will have plenty of time to, to chill out in heaven. We will always make room for what is most important to us. That's why sometimes, and I found this to be true, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. It's so true. They'll do it. They'll get it done. And uh, while it is good to want to do many things in our lives, and it's, it's great to want to do many things for the glory of God, the message of the gospel is, think about this, think about Mary and Martha, think about what the gospel says. The, the, the gospel is primarily about resting in the great things that God has done for us. It's not about doing, it's about resting. And God commands us in scripture, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. When was the last time you and I took time to be still and just to know that God is God with other Christians? It's a joy to do that, to be still sometimes and to know God better in community with other Christians. And busyness can be a great challenge for us. So we have to figure out how can I use my busyness and steward that the way that Jesus wants me to. And I need help to do that. The fourth reason it's, it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we might have more introverted personalities. I heard recently that at least half of Americans consider themselves introverted. And for the introverted person, you'll have to talk Chris, My, Chris Meyer if you want the right definition. This is one of the things I, I think of, is it's, it is energy draining for them to be around certain groups of people, bigger groups of people. And, And the reality is it's incorrect actually to pigeonhole any of us either as an extrovert or an introvert because most people have a combination of both qualities and that being said it is undeniable that for many of us in this room the thought of being in a room with lots of people in a church building or in a house or anywhere else is tiresome and that thought is even anxiety producing and so as a church we have to recognize that and we have to respect people who are wired that way because that doesn't mean anything's wrong with them okay Um, and I'm proud of you if you came here today and you are in that group Uh, at the same time the solution can't be that only extroverted people devote themselves to sharing life together because we need introverted people in our fellowship we need them and I think this is an area where you really have to learn to know yourself and your own motives, because our job as Christians cannot be to judge other Christians in the sense of, well, I don't know what they're doing with their life. I don't see them doing anything. No, that's not your job. That's not my job. We have to know our own self. And if being around Christians is difficult for you, maybe this describes your situation. But if if you're normally glad that you put yourself out there, that you fellowship with others, then I would encourage you to keep fighting for fellowship in your life. And then it also will be important for you to make room in your life where you can have that alone time where you need to re-energize. If you are a person who has serious struggles with panic attacks, social anxiety, perhaps agoraphobia that prevent you from going into public, or that prevent you from doing what you want to do, then I would say God doesn't want that for you. He loves you, he wants to help you with that. And as a church family, we wanna help you experience freedom in your life as much as we can. And if that describes you, please you begin by talking to me and just laying your cards out or talking to a Christian counselor or your doctor. This is the reality, you guys. Many, many people in this room and in our church family Are struggling with anxiety issues right now and you're not alone okay now if you're a person who is is maybe you're at the point where you're dead set on on not being around any groups of people because it's too hard for you again I'm proud of you for coming today and I want you to think about this how can you devote yourself to sharing life with others maybe in a different way during this season in your life because often being introverted does not mean you don't like people it means that you may not like being in certain settings with people. And so maybe a community group or a big ministry isn't for you right now. Maybe it would be more energizing for you to share life with other Christians in a one-on-one discipleship relationship. Um, or, Or maybe you would feel more comfortable inviting one couple or one family over for dinner or meeting them someplace for dinner so you don't have to even have people in your house. That might be a good starting place for you, but I would encourage you, don't give up on fellowship. And that way, you can still share life with other Christians, but in an environment which would be more energizing for you. Again, there's nothing wrong with being introverted. There's nothing wrong with being extroverted. There's nothing wrong with being anywhere on the the scale. That's, That's part of how God wired us differently, how we're different parts of the body and we serve different purposes and we need one another. The key is to find out how you can share life with other Christians in a way that aligns with Scripture and in a way that is most often helpful for you and others. Okay, There's more to say about that always, but I'm going to keep moving. The fifth reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we have been hurt by other Christians. As human beings, we get hurt whenever we share life together long enough in any setting because we are all broken people. That's the reason for the pain. We are not perfect. None of us. We, we are all sinners. No, but because of God's grace, though, followers of Jesus, we do have God's Holy Spirit in us who is helping us to kill sinful habits in our lives for the glory of God. Maybe someone said something that hurt your feelings. Maybe you felt excluded from a group of people in the church. Maybe you uh, 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 were offended by a pastor or a church leader of some type. Maybe, Maybe things just didn't go the way you wanted to, if you're really honest. It didn't go the way I wanted at this church, and you got mad. There are all sorts of ways we can get hurt when we share life together, and that's why a lot of people don't. That's why a lot of people, you, you can go this deep with them. I and mean, years, they never talk about this part. It's hard to get there. The reformer Martin Luther used to uh, say that Christians are simul justice et peccator, which I think is Latin, and it means that we Christians are simul, like simultaneously. At the same time, we are righteous and sinful. We've been declared righteous and sinless in God's sight because Jesus killed our sin on the cross and he imputed his righteousness to us. And at the same time, during our lives on earth, we live with this reality of sin in us, that it has warped all parts of us, all parts of our relationships on earth. And so until we die, we have to fight against the sinful impulses of our flesh because we don't want to cause more harm to ourselves or more harm to the people around us. And the gospel of Jesus gives us at least three ways to respond when other Christians hurt us or when we hurt other Christians. First, the gospel reminds us of this, that people are not the object of our faith and our hope and our justification, uh, justification. Jesus is. Let me say that one more time. People, the people around you, the people you love most, the people you don't love most, the people who hurt you, they are not the object of your faith, Your hope or your justification, Jesus is. Boy, I gotta preach that one to myself about every day. Just because people hurt you does not change anything about the truthfulness of Scripture or the love of God towards you in Jesus Christ. So do not throw Jesus away because followers have let you down, because maybe the church has let you down. And at the same time, hear this part. You can't throw away God's people altogether because the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus loves his church so much that he died for her. And the church is not this abstract thing. It is the people of God made up of individuals. Second, the gospel teaches us that, it teaches us to expect to be offended and or sinned against others as we share life together. It teaches us not to have this Mindset which says you offended me you you say that I'm done. I'm out of here That's it. I can't believe you did that. I'm gone forever. This is it, right? That's our flesh We got to fight that impulse by the power of the Holy Spirit When we really share life together um, This is the reality we're gonna go deeper than the shiny happy smiles that we wear on Sunday mornings or the perfect lives that we try to portray on Facebook. The gospel tells me that because God's people are broken and imperfect, and because I am one of those broken and imperfect people, then I can't be shocked when I'm sinned against. And I can't be shocked when I unintentionally hurt others. And I can't be happy about that. I need to feel compassion and sorrowful for that. And obviously, we don't want to hurt others. We don't want to be hurt by others. But the Bible tells us that relational pain is unfortunately one of the results of the curse of sin. That's going to happen to you, whether you're in the church or your school or your basketball team or your job or your rest home, wherever. It's going to be one of part of, just a part of life until, um, until the Lord takes you home. Now, third, the gospel teaches us that in Jesus, we have power to forgive one another and to be reconciled to each other. You cannot determine the way that people are gonna act towards you. You cannot make them forgive you. You cannot make them be nice to you. You cannot make them want to be reconciled to you. However, it is our job as Christians to love others even when they hurt us. This is the Jesus way. To seek to forgive others, to seek reconciliation, and to leave the results in God's hands. And I realize there's a whole gamut of what that looks like. I'm not trying to oversimplify any of this. But this is the reality, this is part of the hope we have of the love of God in us, in the Holy Spirit. That the love of God, the power of God in us gives us real supernatural power that is not in us of ourselves, and it empowers us to fight the impulses of our flesh, to fight against feelings, and actions of anger and hatred and bitterness and pride, the Holy Spirit helps us to get right with one another. It's hard man, life is hard, we all know that. I think, sometimes I think though of that prayer, Jesus's prayer, he said, uh, um, let be on earth, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And that's part of what we wanna do you guys. If we're believers in Christ, we're gonna be together for eternity. So God, how can you help me bring heaven to earth a little bit in the way that I'm offering grace and love to others even when I'm hurt? And I'm not trying to oversimplify that, but I do believe that because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we have an answer for this that is not found anywhere else but in Jesus. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. The sixth reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we might be out of the habit of sharing life together as Christians. One of the hardest times to get people back into church life is at the beginning of the school year, because many of us take vacations during the summertime, and, and for a lot of different reasons just... You know, a lot of us are more sporadic in the summertime. And, and after we've been out of the habit of coming to church and being in a community group or sharing life with other people, whatever that looks like for us, it's just hard to start up again. Um, and this is, this is the truth. It is easier, way easier, not to pursue fellowship with other people. It's just easier. And you really have to make an effort to share your life with others. And uh, we should listen to these words from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So God tells us, don't stop fellowshipping with other Christians, don't stop sharing life with others, but instead, persevere together. That's how the perseverance comes. It's, it's a community project. And the reason is because Jesus is coming back soon. And so we gotta encourage one another and stir one another up for to love and to do good works and to reach the lost because time is short. Don't drift away from God's people. Get back into the life of the church. The seventh reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we might not feel like we fit in. For a host of different reasons, ranging from our upbringing to our personality types to our past experiences in church, many of us can feel like we do not fit in with other people at church. And people in churches can do wicked things, intentionally or unintentionally, to make people feel that way. I've talked to a number of women who, who feel like every time they enter the doors of a church building for a ministry event, they are entering the doors of their high school again. And through their eyes, they see circles of friends over there who don't reach out and say hi to them. They're not their friends. Circle of women over there. Uh, they see different cliques that always hang out together and never seem to include other people. And some people have actually given dirty looks to new people and said, what are you doing here? And that is evil. That is evil. That's not of Jesus. And I'm not saying that specifically about our church, although I've heard some of it. It's, it's characteristic of life together and life in any church. from what I've found in like the five different churches I've been in. Um, I'm thankful for the, the welcoming atmosphere at Cedar Home. And I think we do a good job at that. And at the same time, we're all prone to hurt others because we're sinners and we don't want that. And as, as we've already seen in the book of Acts, the gospel of the, guys, this is so cool. The gospel of Jesus is so unique in that it intends, God intends to bring diverse people together who would never otherwise share life together. It doesn't happen in any other setting than in the church. There are no caste systems or social classes in God's kingdom. There are no cliques. There are no gangs, there aren't cool kids and uncool kids in God's kingdom. And that's what we want our church to look like, to be an expression of that. And sadly, the church on earth doesn't always reflect God's kingdom. And I hope you will be one to change that. The gospel of Jesus levels all of us. It says that we're all hopeless, We all deserve hell. And that's a a really tough pill to swallow. I read a quote this week by Martin Lloyd Jones who said, Grace is favor shown to people who do not deserve any favor at all. Listen, this is this is this is the message of the Bible. We deserve nothing but hell. If you think you deserve heaven, take it from me. You are not a Christian. Powerful words. Read that to Cindy, and she's like, ouch. I'm like, I know. It is, but it, but it is the message of the gospel. That's why, that's why what Jesus did is not just a trivial thing. We don't take this for granted. This is the greatest expression of love and salvation the world and universe has ever known. Now, for you and me, if you're treating anyone in your life like they deserve hell but you don't, then you are imitating Satan, and you need to stop it. You must confess that sin to God and repent. Ask God to help you fight your impulses, your insecurities to find acceptance in people and in your image. Ask God to help you stop worrying what your friends think. Start pursuing people who are different than you. That's what the gospel tells us we have freedom to do because God made all of us. And in the gospel, Jesus reconciles all of us who trust in him. So when we Christians are together, in a very practical way, whether that's, uh, you know, a Sunday morning, a community group, a potluck, a ministry event, a play date, whatever it is. When we Christians are together, we have to be very intentional not to cluster up, but to keep an eye out for new people and to go welcome them like Jesus welcomed us just the same way that Jesus had his eye out for us and pursued us. When you come to church, you're not a consumer. You're a minister. You're here to minister to your brothers and sisters of Christ and to worship Jesus. If you're a person um, who really struggles with not feeling good enough or cool enough, if you've really been hurt by people who have treated you as unworthy, then please come talk to me because I wanna connect you with some good resources that might help you because you're not alone in feeling that way. The eighth reason it's hard for us to share life together as Christians is because we might be trying to run from God. If we're living a life of sin and disobedience to God, then we're not gonna wanna be around Christians who believe in God and his word and who are filled with his spirit. We might thrive in a different setting with other people or in a church family that doesn't believe God's word or doesn't take sin seriously, but if we're around people who love the word of Jesus, then it's inevitable that we're gonna feel convicted about our sin. And that's not just gonna be about you or you, it's gonna be all of us. All of us have the same need for the savior. And at the same time, we hopefully will hear about the grace of God and the power of God to save us from our sin, the power of God to transform our lives and give us freedom from sin for the glory of God's name and for our joy. But if you're trying to run from God, then you're not gonna like feeling convicted. You might even try justifying it by saying, ah, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. That's, I don't hang around them anymore because they're all hypocrites. In John 3, 19 to 20, Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light, he's talking about himself, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So if the Holy Spirit, this is what we, you have to see. If the Holy Spirit is pointing out sin in your life right now, that is a wonderful thing. It might not feel wonderful, and it might mean that you have to take some difficult steps to honor God in a certain area of your life, but be thankful that you at least know what you're doing is wrong. You know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard conversations, I've read books about people who come to Christ from a really ingrained super rebellious, anti-God lifestyle. And that conversion isn't, oh, this is so awesome now I'm a Christian. It's hard. It's hard. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross. It might mean you have all new friends. You gotta say goodbye to people. You gotta say goodbye to old patterns. You gotta, you gotta, you got a new path that God wants you on. And he's going to bless you on that path. But it's going to take some work. And it might take some pain, but it's going to result in a lot of blessing for you. Um, don't run from that conviction. Jesus wants you free. He wants you to experience joy like you've never known. And he said he came to give us abundant life. Life way infinitely better than something that you and I could uh, create on our own. So instead of trying to run from God, confess that sin to Jesus, receive assurance of forgiveness, because Jesus died for you on the cross. Repent and trust in Jesus. And share your life with God's people. Offer up your life for the glory of God and for the, the mission of his church on earth. So there, there are many reasons, okay, why it can be hard for us to share life together as Christians, but the, the eight reasons, and I realize there's a whole gamut of them, okay? But uh, let me review what we talked about. First of all, because we can be self-centered, center around ourselves, uh, we can wrongly worship self-reliance. We are too busy often. We might have more introverted personalities uh, because maybe we've been hurt by other Christians. Uh, We might be out of the habit of sharing life with Christians. We might not feel like we fit in. Or we might be trying to run from God This is what I want you to do. I hope you, if you took any of these notes or maybe you wrote one of them down, look at that this week and how it pertains to yourself and to other people you know and use it, I would say I encourage you to get real with God this week and to talk about Him, talk to Him about the hesitancies that you have about devoting yourself to sharing your life with other Christians. Because we all have hesitancies. And ask God to help you identify any fears or hindrances in your life that are not from him and that are preventing you from enjoying life with his people. You can confess those sins and know that you're forgiven by God. And, and again, the next step is to repent, to turn away from your incorrect way of thinking or living and ask God to show you how can I live life together with Christians for the glory of God in a way that fits my season of life. Life is hard for all of us, but by the grace of God, we're in this thing together. In his classic book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us that it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren, allowed. So I encourage all of us here to persevere at loving one another, to not stop meeting together some are in the habit of doing, and may the Lord bless us with joy as, as an encouragement as we seek to, to worship God together and to connect together and to serve together and to make disciples together here at Cedar Home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encouragement, God, that um, even though sin has uh, entered ourselves and the human race and caused a lot of heartache and brokenness in ourselves and in our relationships with others, that the gospel of Jesus, the power of God, fills us with love, and it fills us with um, your Holy Spirit's power, which is actually able to reconcile us with one another, to give us a heart for other people, to think less about ourselves and more about others. And we pray, God, that you would, you would give us that heart, and we thank you so much, God, that we're not saved by following any of these eight rules or anything, God, we're saved by you. We're saved because of your love for us. And we thank you that you're not done with us and you want us to uh, experience joy and community together. And so help us to do that, Lord. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.